Oh, hey. Hey, Dan. Hey, Maureen. Hey, you want to do a podcast? Do I ever. Oh, come on. What? Come on, Dan. Huh? Where's your, where's your early morning DJ voice? Sell it. You got to sell it. You got to oh. make people. Whoa. Do I ever. What is happening? Hello. It turns out it sounds a lot better when you lean way into your mic. That's what I learned in the last month. Is this our? Is this really our opening? Is this our our flashy <laughs> professional opening? E- no one, no one expect, no one expects much from us. We're back. Welcome to Says Who, the podcast that isn't a podcast. It's a coping strategy. I'm Dan Sinker. And I'm Maureen Johnson. And my finger's healed. Man, it's my, been that my, long, hasn't it? Yeah, my finger has more than my finger that I injured about four weeks ago or so while uh, on a can while making homemade Dole Whip and I had to get stitches all in my hand. They're out and my finger is more or less sealed shut. So that's that's something. Got going for go. me right now. It's like a little. It's a metaphor for hope. You have a you have a Frankenstein finger. I do. May have we a all Franken- be so lucky. Yeah, Dan. There is a lot that's happened since we last spoke. It's been a month. It's been a month. The oh last God. time we spoke, you were you were on a boat. So that barely even counts because <sighs> you were just like living. Living, you you had a brief a brief moment where you flashed into the good timeline. Yeah, I know. I, I still think about being on that boat. I I sometimes I imagine because I was still watching the news then, except I watched it with the ocean going by in the background with gently rocking, and I mean it helped. It was a slight did, bonus. Did it help because it was calming, or did it help because it was like, well, I could always just jump a little bit up. Bit of column A, bit of column B, really. That sounds about right. I could swim for it. I saw a dolphin. I was like, I can go live with them. They they seem to have their shit together. I mean, we could start talking about how the fact that we um we have a win on the board. We do. How amazing! Like that was a brutal week, and how I I just I have to actually rewind in my head that just a couple of days of they were going to have a vote. We saw the president. He met with the truckers and he wore yep. the pin that said, I love trucks. And then he pretended to drive a truck in front of drive the White House. And then uh, he didn't know that that the things were going so badly. And someone had to come and tell him afterwards that things were going badly. And then he tried to force them into doing it. And he tried to threaten them into doing it. And they called Mike Pence back and made Mike Pence threaten them. And all... And they all had a big fight, and they made it dumber and dumber, and in the middle of the night, they tried to rewrite it so that it didn't cover emergency room visits or doctor's visit. It was literally like doctor's office appointments, hospitalizations. It didn't cover anything. It was it was yeah. the opposite of insurance. I don't even know what it was. It didn't they, cover anything. They yanked all of the health care out of the health care bill. Yeah. And yet, I, I don't know what it would have covered in the end, if anything. 
I think it made just everything optional. There was a brief moment in my very early 20s where I owned insurance that I referred to as hit by a bus insurance because the only good that it would have done me was had I had some sort of just freak catastrophic accident and it would have covered, I believe, any of my costs after $10,000, which mm. when I was like 21, that might as well have been like, we'll cover all of your costs after the first billion dollars, because it's not like I had $10,000 to cover. Um, and I think that that was the model. They were like, okay, well, let's make sure, you know, it's insurance, if even though you can't get anything or afford it. So we're, we're giving you insurance. Uh, but they didn't get it. They did not get that, Maureen. They tried all day, and it was a tense day, and in the end, they pulled the bill. And it felt um, it felt so weird, didn't it? Like, I'd refuse to believe it for hours. I'll tell you, uh, because I was, uh, I've been writing this book, and I've been really having a hard time, really since the election, keeping my thoughts straight. I mean, I really got jangled. Uh, it, it exacerbated an illness that I have. Like, I really was just like a bag of thoughts that didn't make any sense. And this weird thing happened that day where I watched that coverage. I saw that we won. And I said, OK. And I remember I, I took a bath, put everything in order. And I woke up the next morning and my head was completely clear. And I was and I started doing like 12 hour days after that with no problem. And I feel like it was just that boost of getting something like a score yeah. that re I was filled with energy again, or at least something that I could make sense again. Right. And I mean, I think one thing about it that was so heartening, you know, I mean, there have been there have been a number of real blows to this motherfucker's agenda. Um mainly in the like continued court uh orders uh stopping the muslim ban of its various mm -hmm. shapes and shapes and sizes and incarnations but this one like this was a win because everyone called you know like this was not a win in the courts this was a win because there was suddenly a realization of like whoa people are going to be pissed you know yeah. and and I mean, the the ironic thing being that, you know, some of the calls that, that folks were getting were from folks saying, hey, this isn't bad enough. Right. I mean, the, the, at the end of the day, it, it didn't pass because there was a contingent of of ride or die conservatives that, that basically were saying, hey, we need this to be as punitive and awful a bill as, as possible um, because we need to go back to our constituents and say we did our job. But like even still, even on the left, you know, I mean, you you had moderate Republicans that were saying, you know, yeah, my office logged 700 calls today and four of them were for the bill and everyone else was against it. How are we supposed to vote? You know, I mean, there was there was there was worry from top to bottom. Yeah, this was a it was a direct demonstration that this resistance worked, that people showing up worked, that they were terrified of going to a town hall and seeing 5,000 people there say, we're going to vote you out of office and we're going to run you out of town if you take away our health care, which literally no one. I mean, there are those crazy. I shouldn't use the word crazy. I should use a derogatory term. 
there are people that really believe that healthcare is not a right. It's like a weird, fancy thing. You know, yeah. it's like it's like it's like having a yacht or something as opposed to everyone having a human body that fails. Yeah. It's and a like, mindset I'll I don't know if I'll ever be able to get into. Nor is the is the the corresponding mindset of that of what people really want and need is uh is choice in their healthcare, you know? That's really you know, being able to choose your doctor and choose your, and it's like, who's making those decisions? Like I have, as, as, uh, as I said, uh, in the, the mini cast, I've spent quite a lot of time in hospitals recently because my father has been quite ill and they're not saying to the doctors, like, mm, we're going to shop around on this bladder removal, you know, like they're, they're just, that's, it's a thing you got to get done. It's not a, it's not a, moment to check the amazon reviews it i had a friend who was an oncology nurse up at sloan kettering and she would frequently describe patients doing the math when they were told what the treatments would cost and saying well what are my chances of survival versus how much that shot costs because i believe she talked about one shot that per injection was the per treatment injection it was something like ten thousand dollars and they were like, well, if I live, how do I pay? If I die, how are my relatives going to pay? So I'm going to sit here and do the math. Yeah. It's this real come to call in America where we're like, what What the hell are we doing? What are we really about? Yeah. What are we really about that we have these discussions? The night before the, the health care, I was annoyed enough specifically with Paul Ryan uh, that I actually called the billboard advertising company that reps Janesville, Wisconsin, which is where he's from. And uh, A, it turns out uh, billboards are really cheap in <laughs> Janesville, Wisconsin. And uh, B, the the rep is incredibly helpful. And ba it's like she it's this really like sweet sounding, heavy Wisconsin accent woman who basically her first question was, well, is this is this political in nature? And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm just really just trying to understand what what it would cost. But yeah, she's like, OK. And then she just goes, so would you want um would you want this on the side of town that he drives around in? Like she doesn't even say a name, you know, Whoa. and and then. And I was like, yeah, I think probably. And she's like, is this a thing that you want him to see? Because, uh, you know, there are billboards right outside his grocery store. <laughs> what? <laughs> I know. Dan, Dan, how much was it? Uh, so she never sent me the package. I'm a little bit worried that maybe she copied my um, email address wrong or something. Uh, but it sounded like you could get cheap ones for like, you know, a few hundred bucks, like small little ones for a few hundred bucks for like a week or two. Dan, and you could get gotta, big ones for like two grand. This. We I gotta know. do this. Are we in? Oh, we can do this. We can I think race we can that. definitely do this. We can do this. She was incredibly helpful. <laughs> she was a really wonderful, sweet woman. Dan, you didn't tell me this. This changes everything. I didn't tell you. You were busy, Maureen. Oh. <laughs> I didn't want to distract from the book getting done. I'm clutching my head. I'm clutching my head in excitement. You guys, said, who, says Whovians, you want to all get together and get a 
great big old billboard outside of Paul Ryan's grocery store or wherever just that he can't avoid that just looks him in the in his dumb face every day. What will we write on it? Help us brainstorm. Tweet us at says who and let us know if you want to do this because um I feel like this is a this is a winner of an idea. It seems doable. It seems entirely doable, Maureen. Well, let's get to our next exciting topic. And says Whovians, this is one of our new interactive features where we really, I believe that it, I love, I, you know, Dan, I think you know this about me is I love a project. Um, you, you are, you, you do like a project. I like to cook. I like to organize. I like to make boards and like filing systems and things like that. And I really think it'd be nice as if everybody could sort of craft together your own conspiracy wall and then you can just use things that you have around or if if you want to go to michael's the craft shop and get some really nice like scrapbooking paper and yarn and little pins and make a really nice conspiracy wall of your own i would just we would love to see them and feature them Um, they do make really nice yarn with like glitter embedded in it you can make something really, really yeah. lovely. And we would love to see your conspiracy walls, uh, especially about Russia and what we're calling Finker Failure Fucker Spy. Um, the best description I saw of it recently on Twitter was somebody said, it's like we're watching a John Le Carre novel, but as adapted by Adam Sandler. And I was like, <laughs> there it is. These people seem like really terrible at intelligence. That's the thing. That's the thing that I find most maddening about all of this is these people are fucking morons. You know, it's like if they actually if it was like, wow, that's an impressive little, you know, bit of subterfuge that you've pulled but no they're like they're like literally walking around the street with like a fake mustache and a trench coat and being like no one knows we're spies you know i mean they're let's break uh, it down a little because when we left we were at jeff sessions meeting with the russian ambassador and trump was at first was first doing his wiretapping tweets and of course we're gonna miss you know when we do this i'm gonna attempt to be accurate but there's no way i could cover it all because it is it is like a novel at this point it is incredibly complicated and you do need a conspiracy wall so i really encourage you maybe get different colored yarn for the different people involved um there's a lot of really nice oh puffy paint there's a lot of really beautiful systems you can make so let's just go over some of the players now one uh we have Roger Stone, who's sort of one of uh, Donald Trump's um, – he's sort of uh, someone that's trained him all along the way. He's been, he's been there for a long time. Roger Stone is someone who dresses like a Victorian undertaker or um, like a character from a cartoon and a little bit like Beetlejuice at points. Yeah. And he's he like, has he, – He's like a lesser villain in the Hanna-Barbera Laugh Olympics. Yeah. Yeah, he's 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 um, he. You, there are many beautiful pictures of Roger Stone, and fun fact: he has a picture of he has a tattoo of Richard Nixon on his back between his shoulder blades. It is. Um, 
So you can point both. He can point both his thumbs back at Richard Nixon, which is really nice. Now there's Roger Stone. Now he's one of the first players that came into this, who had that mysterious prior knowledge of the cyber attack on the DNC and the um, Hillary Clinton email leaks, and he seemed to know what was going to be uh, in those emails before the contents were released, which was. Um, what can I say? He just um, flat out said what was in it before it was released. Yeah. Uh, and said very... he was talking to the people that did it. Like, that's all of these people. It's like they're just like, oh, yeah, that me. Totally. That was yeah. me. So he's he should he's going to be on your wall. We have former campaign manager Paul Manafort. Now, this is a guy with a complicated profile, but he was uh, employed by the former Ukraine, uh, former president of the Ukraine to further uh, uh, further Russia's profile and interest. Um, Paul Manafort. Uh, so he yes, yeah, so he received about twelve million dollars from the former president of Ukraine. Um, then we have uh, Michael Flynn. Uh, Michael Flynn, obviously. In the news a lot recently, Trump's former national security advisor who was fired after, I believe, two weeks. Was it two or three weeks? Um, yeah, it might have been might have been three. OK. For failing to disclose his meeting with the Russian ambassador, ambassador Sergei Kislyak, uh, a man who seems to be impossible not to meet. Um, yep. You he seems to be everywhere. Um, he is now offering to come clean. Uh, in order to in uh, in return for immunity, which uh, I believe has been rejected, I don't know if it's been rejected by the three various bodies that are now conducting investigation into this. Um, then there's Carter. You want to talk about Carter Page?s I think he's close. He's my favorite, Dan, out of all of these people. Yeah, um, he's fun. Carter Page, the brightest of the bunch, I like to think. <laughs> As a is a former campaign advisor, um, and if you want to see an astonishing interview, uh, see if watch the Chris Hayes interviewing Carter Page. And this was actually way back when we first like about a month ago, I believe, because I I think I yeah. talked about it. Yeah, in which Chris Hayes tries to pin him down about the fact that he's met with the Russian ambassador, and he gave answers like, "Well." I never met him outside of Chicago. And he gave these incredibly strange answers. And then as the weeks went on, you found out that he was unbelievably involved with all of this stuff. Uh, he was uh, the Russian uh, intelligence agencies attempted to recruit him as an asset. And he was very accommodating. And the FBI picked up on this and planted some documents on him. And without his knowledge, he handed over a bunch of bugged documents. They put um, microphones in a binder. <laughs> You and know, he handed them. You know what they handed him was like a folder that was all lumpy, and like there was a <laughs> microphone sticking out, and he was just like, "Okay, here you go, guys." Here's it's a trapper keeper with for. wires coming out of it. Yeah, and the Russians took it back to a safe room, where they went through it and talked about what an idiot he was. Where they were <laughs> then recorded by a a binder full of microphones. Um. So those are just some of the people involved in this beautiful story. But then you're you're, we... you're leaving out a, a, an interesting one that got reported oh. out yesterday, which at first you go, oh, well, this person isn't somehow hooked in. But then the real kicker. 
So the the yesterday, uh, the Washington Post and a few other places picked up that uh, the founder of Blackwater, oh, the yes. kind of governmental defense contractor, uh, set up a secret meeting with uh, a Putin uh, confidant uh, in the Indian Ocean outside the United Arab Emirates. And like, again, we get this spy novel thing. But this dude, the, the founder of Blackwater, do you know who his sister is? Oh, I think I know, but I'd like you to say it. That would be our current head of the Department of Education, Betsy uh, DeVos. The one who hates schools. Um, <sighs> like, the, the, like, all these people, see, I mean, not the Blackwater dude, clearly that guy knows fucking spying, but um, everyone else, they're all such morons, you know? And it's just like, God, these are, like, these... These weird two-bit hustler morons are in charge of our government now. Well, it gets better because the the most delicious twist um, happened on... Uh, uh, so, there was a terrible day in which there was an attack in London. Yeah. And I had the misfortune, Dan, of... I turned on the news to see what was happening in London. And I had the news on in the background while I was doing something. And it I happened to have it on at the right or wrong time. And I caught the Devin Nunez. Nunez. See, it's not Nunez. I believe it's Nunez. I think it's Nunez. Nunez. Uh, his press conference live, the now famous press conference in which he was photographed or he was he kind of called this press meeting in which he said that he had some evidence that nobody had seen that suggested that perhaps members of the Trump campaign were recorded in a some kind of manner and you could just almost hear birds tweeting around his head and <laughs> that and the re reporters just seemed so puzzled and they were like what what was it are you saying it was illegal? And he was like, well, no, it's just, they go, well, what, what is it? And they're like, he's like, just it's recordings. And they were like, well, who told you? And he's like, I can't say. And then he's like, well, they said, have you told everyone else on the, on the um, committee that is invest doing this investigation? He's like, no, I, I can't. I got to go tell the president. And they're like, but he's the one under investigation. And he's like, yeah, I just got to go tell him. And I listened to this. And I thought my head was going to explode. This was before it was all parsed. And I thought, that seemed insane. That seemed crazy. Everything that just happened felt crazy. And I feel like I just took a bunch of crazy pills. And I wrote to you and you were like, I have been busy all day. I haven't seen it. And I was just ranting and I was just, the hands were in the air. I was like, Dan, something crazy is happening. If you'd like to take over from here, because I'm, I'm, oh, Dan, I got my arms going and I've got them hitting the soundproofing tiles. <laughs> The best thing is, so I was I was in the midst of driving uh, the day that that happened. I was driving from uh, Memphis to New Orleans. I was in New Orleans last week. So my favorite thing about all of this newness stuff is that I still haven't wrapped my head around it. Like I, because I missed that day, I, like I might as well missed a year. Um, but I believe now it has been reported out that his sources, because his whole thing was that he he met on White House grounds with sources yes. um, 
that Which it, is something that you can't just do. No, so no. You can't just be on the White House grounds without anybody knowing. And Especially odd be... when you're leading an investigation on the White House. Right. So his sources are, in fact, people that work for... For the White House. White House. Go figure. Yes. Not in intelligence, not anything. The two sources are, according to the New York Times, Ezra Cohen Watnick, a senior director for intelligence at the National Security Council, and Michael Ellis, a lawyer who works on national security at the White House Counsel's Office and was previously counsel on the House Intelligence Committee, with the speculation being, and the speculation by Adam Schiff is that it was the White House attempting to launder intelligence to the White House Committee, all in the aid of trying to do something that made Trump's wiretapping claims, which have been debunked by every intelligence organization, it, explicitly, uh, moderately less bananas. Yeah. So Devin Nunez ran out in front of a bus for seemingly no reason. Um, he looks sheepish and sad all the time, which, frankly, he should, um, because it's nuts. Yeah. It's it, nuts, it's fruits, and it's flakes. And I still don't understand the part of the equation where he then goes and briefs Trump on this. Because, like, there are two things that are puzzling about this. A, you are running an investigation on Trump. You don't then go tell him what you got. But also, the information came from people that work for Trump. Why, what? Why also, did they not? No one, I believe, to this day... I don't know if he's actually told anyone what it is. No. So it's literally he said, I know some stuff. I heard some stuff. I got to go tell the president the stuff. And he's under investigation. And incidentally, also what he's suggesting happened is all legal. Right. Like right. It's all legal. It's well, that that's the other thing that's so weird to me about this, right? Is like, oh, see, this absolves this this series of tweets because they were monitoring us. And it's like, well, wait, no, hold on. The narrative is they were monitoring some shifty Russians and you all were talking to them. You know, like, how does that help you? I don't yeah, understand. It has to do with incidental collection on a, in, a, in an investigation that was going on into Russian spying and um, just sort of by accident, something related to Trump, even people just saying his name, no one knows because no one knows what it is, um, uh, was said that had to do. So it, basically at this point, everybody knows this is bananas nonsense um, and we appear to be governed by the dumbest people in the world i mean it's there is no it's like a it's like a marx brothers movie it's 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 beyond the beyond <laughs> so i'd really love to what kind of i if you could just really if you could send us those crazy walls we'd love to f to feature them um Dan has Dan obviously has been working on his for a while. It's sort of like a maze now. There's a minotaur in the middle of it. It's it's, it's hard to get down the stairs at this point. I kind of peer at it from from above, and when I come in to record, I have to bring scissors and kind of cut my way through. You got stuck down there for a day or two. I didn't know if we were going to get you back out. I know they were able to slide some graham crackers through it, so I didn't uh, I didn't I didn't become undernourished. So couple if you of could slices send those of in, cheese. 
Uh, we, I know Dan would love to see him because I, I know you're always working on um, on your technique. On um, I know I'm you a love real, your scrap- I'm a real connoisseur of the form now, Maureen. There's some beautiful scrapbooking materials that I think can really, really um, bring it to life. Uh, they make a lot of stickers, a lot of kind of edging scissors that can give it decorative edging. I, I, I bet we can see some really beautiful ones. Um, but now we're going to move on to something that is very close to Dan's heart. Uh. I'm really excited. I'm really excited about this, Dan. <sighs> Maureen. 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 It's all right, Dan. Just. So, you know, the last time we spoke, we've 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 made a few mentions of Mar-a-Lago, Trump's uh, Trump's resort that he seemingly without any knowledge of history refers to as the Southern White House, which was, uh, in fact, uh, where the Confederacy ran out of um, and was burned down. Um, and he, whenever he's gone down to Florida, uh, he, he's always gone golfing, Maureen. And there's been enough of a, of a bit of an outcry about the fact that he has gone to Florida so many weekends as president of the United States that he stayed home two weekends in a row now. Um, but Maureen... He never stopped golfing. Maureen, I thought he was in. He was in meetings, Dan, wasn't he? Yeah, that's one of the best parts is that they always say he's he's gone to his golf course for meetings, and then inevitably some knucklehead at the golf course posts to Instagram, and there's a photo of like Donald Trump in a full little golf outfit standing behind him, uh, you know, slinking off to to play golf. Maureen, he has played golf. 14 times in 10 weeks. 14, Maureen. 14. 14. Do you know how often he called out Obama over eight years for playing golf? 22. So he is almost, he is is rapidly approaching the total number of times that he called out Obama for golfing in like three months when it took Obama eight years. Like it's Maureen. Well, we didn't vote for him at all, but there were plenty of people that voted for this fucking clown and they did not vote. I don't think for president of golf. Did they? Uh, There is one positive, Dan. All those Instagram photos. We get to see Dead ass. I mean, <laughs> we get to see it on the green, going upstairs at the golf club. You can't deny that ass. I mean, <laughs> it's wide, it's broad. Just want to put a golf flag in it. It's. Uh, I don't need to see it, though. I don't. I don't need to see any of it. You're going to see it, 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 Dan. It's in the Florida sunshine. I say fly that flag, Trump. Fly it. Show us dead ass. Uh, this little golf, it's all high-waisted with his golf shirt tucked in. Little hat on, a little red hat on his head. Uh, a weave blowing in the wind. Uh, I'm gonna, 
I, I, thankfully, I'm in my basement. I'm going to go grab some bleach and pour it in my ears right now, Maureen. What are you doing to me? Dead ass. Just swaying as it crosses the golf course. Thinking oh. about winning. Oh. Oh, just thundering along. Just boom, ba boom, ba boom. Doing some golf. Winning. Maga, ba boom, ba boom. You know what I'm talking about. It's a little gift for the rest of us, Dan. A little takeaway. A little something for home. Uh, Gone to a dark place, Dan. Yeah, I'm pulling us out. Maureen, when we started Says Who before the election, uh, if you can remember uh, the 300 years that have passed since Election Day, uh, we used to have guests on, Maureen. We used to do interviews with journalists to understand uh, what is what is happening in the world. Um Post-election, we just started turning on the mic and talking. And uh, we took a little break um, in the month of March um, to get some life stuff done and to get a little bit ahead of the ball on uh, Says Who. And one of the things that we are excited about is we are bringing guests back. Guests are back on says who but it's not just journalists because now we're all living this it's not not just someone like olivia nuzzi who's kind of was deep in the hell of trump long before the rest of us were uh now we're all there and we all have different ways of of making it through and different insights and different experiences with it and so we want to bring all sorts of people back to Says who? Uh, and we're kicking it off, in fact, with uh, the fine gentleman who lent Says Who our theme music, Ted Leo. Uh, Ted is an amazing singer and songwriter who has been releasing records since the 90s. Um, he is amazing. I got to interview him a number of times with my old magazine, Punk Planet. He's, in fact, uh, one of the featured interviews in the collected interviews of Punk Planet, the book that is still available. Uh, most recently, Ted successfully tripled his ask on Kickstarter for a new record, which is going to be out later this year. Uh, throughout his career, Ted has been closely aligned with radical politics, and so we wanted to sit down with him and find out how he's been able to sustain his creative output against the brain suck that is this constant barrage of news. And also, um, I just did spend some time on a boat with him and got to see him play, so I am uh, psyched as all get out to be talking to Ted. I wanted to be on that boat. First, uh, I had the pleasure of meeting you on the boat on yes, the Choco cruise. Yeah, that Dan was very bitter not to be on. It's true. <laughs> I was. Well, next year, man. It was like a boat filled with my friends. <laughs> and, that's exactly what it is. It's I not know. just like that. It is that. <laughs> it's really it was, weird. It was yeah. delightful. When I told him the story of the entire town of Loreto, Mexico, being overtaken by a giant music festival that featured you and Amy Mann and Jonathan Colton and like there was a food festival and everybody was eating delicious Mexican food and listening to the music and Dan was just not coping yeah. well with that news at all. <laughs> I, I'm now not, now that you've reminded me of all of it. <laughs> well, if it makes you feel any better, Dan, um, you know, I... I so overcommitted myself this time. Not that I would have done it any other way, but 
um, the only time I got off the boat was to was to do the music festival, and I did not put on a bathing suit the entire time. Same. Yeah. Oh, really? You too? I yeah. never. I only went off for an hour in Loretto, and I never put on a bathing suit. Yeah. So. Uh, so you know. Doesn't actually make me feel better. <laughs> I mean, oh. so uh, to that end. One of the reasons why I wanted to talk um, to you uh, is you've been making music for quite a while. You know, you have, I mean, you went solo in, what, the late 90s or so and had, had been doing bands um, before that for, you know, ever, essentially. And I've I've known you for a long time. Yeah. And it, this is not... I think any of our first rodeo in terms of suddenly finding ourselves on the outside looking in on um on politics and and feeling, you know, sort of alienated or angry or or things like that and you've you've made art that deals with that throughout. And I'm curious about how you approach making art in a time where there is so much sort of crosswind and anger and all of that, how do you, how do you channel that? How do you deal with any of that? <laughs> I mean, that's the big question, isn't it? That's the, yeah. That is to, the question of life. Light. Yeah. Um, well, okay. Uh, first of all, you know, as you were, as you were, uh, introing this question my my mind was was going back to you know the beginning of of this for me that would be you know probably before i actually started making music but when i was listening to and and appreciating and in, you know in fact needing uh political music of the the earlier 80s you know the early reagan years when i um you know before i actually started you know, a couple of years before i actually started you know doing it myself and um in a sense uh it all feels like one weird singularity in a way like you mm -hmm. know you can draw so many through lines going back long before reagan that that get us to where we are today and as an as an artist it's it's um <laughs> it's kind of depressing to to think about it in those terms but I, you know, in the day to day or when you're actually working and creating, I, I, I only think about it in those terms, uh, academically or in ways that, um, you can, uh, strategize for actual, uh, non-artistic activity, um, in the political realm. And so, so, you know, but that's, that's one thing, but then artistically, you know, you're kind of just dealing with what's in front of you. And, um, it, you know, it, I try not to, um, it's not usually my way to write something as immediate and specific as, you know, Reaganomics killing me, Reaganomics killing me, Reaganomics killing me, Reaganomics <laughs> killing you. you know? <laughs> um, but, uh, but sometimes it's, you know, sometimes it's, it's through that really specific lens that you, that you, that you, you know, you think about things in the broader sense, or you tell a broader story. Um, 
what key, I mean, I guess I'm losing the thread of the question a little bit, but, um, you know, I mean, like a lot of people, I think I just have a compulsion to make music and a compulsion to make music that is, uh, not just academic, you know, that is, um, uh, relevant to my life and my circumstances and, and by extension, I would hope to a few other people's, uh, lives and circumstances. So, um, one just keeps going, you know, there's no real overarching grand narrative to it all. Um, we live and we die <laughs> to be really bleak about it. And, you know, you know, tomorrow is, is tomorrow. And the day after that is the day after that. And you just do what you can with it when it, when, when you have it in front of you. On the, when you say just on the topic of a compulsion, um, Dan and I have found certainly, and I'm a lot of people have found that because of the speed of the news availability of the news and the ways in which we get news, we compulsively refresh the news, refresh Twitter, and you get a kind of punch direct to the brain every, you know, 15 minutes or so, every five minutes. And I've certainly found that that it makes working difficult. Dan was just describing to me a day in which his brain turned completely to soup and he couldn't do anything. Do you have, um, do you find that is also a problem for you or are you finding methods to avoid the news punching? No, I get news punched. I get news punched with the same frequency that you guys do, I think. And, um, and it has affected me. Um, it's affected the way I work. Uh, definitely. I, I think that, um, I think that early on there was enough um, sort of, you know, uh, immediate um, focused energy to to tap into that um, a couple of things that I wrote in the immediate aftermath of the election, uh, you know, are somewhat specific in dealing with that exact moment. Um, Since then, it's uh, honestly, it's almost pointless, (laughs) like... You know, it's almost pointless to to look at what uh, the Trump administration is saying and doing on a on a daily basis and try to. Um, I mean, you you could write thirty songs in a day if you were that <laughs> prolific, you know, about it. So, um, it, it has actually um, it has made it has led me to. I've written a number of things just in the last couple of weeks, actually, and um, and I like them a lot. There's some of there's there are a couple of my favorite songs I think I've ever written actually but what it's what it's driven me to do is not not this like yeah let's go get angry and get in the streets you know kind of kind of stuff I mean yeah. I'm, I'm I'm actually I am actually thinking about that and I am actually trying to trying to do that and put my body and my phone calls you know where they need to be but in terms of the art that I'm making I, I actually have had to find other ways to address the current times and it has led me to do more um fictionalizing of things more storytelling uh more you know finding some other uh human hook in you know within the nebulous and ever-changing 
uh, blob of issues that uh, you know that stick to your face every day <laughs> um and uh and um find some some other way to think about things and some other way to um I'll say sing not talk about things because you know they were talking about song lyrics not uh speechifying or poetry here yeah. I was just going to ask about audience for a second and the reason I'm thinking about it is that I was just on Union Square in New York uh, where I live and it's like a green market going on it's a busy square and there was just one woman walking around by herself with a sign that said Trump evil hashtag impeach just by herself just holding up her sign and I was like well agree but so does everyone else here like it just I was like I you got to do what you got to do I get it but at the same time I feel like we could give you a different job um and the audience in New York, you know, we're already pretty much there. Do you ever feel like, who, is your audience very much in tune with your politics? Or do you feel like you have a chance to maybe get in some other ears and change some other hearts? I mean. Well, that's that's tough for me to say. I mean, I, I think that um, it's also not something I think it's necessarily my job to think about. You know, um, mm. I have to, kind. Of, I mean, this is, I, I don't. I don't, you know, subscribe to the artistic cop out of not thinking about how your work lands and how it, you know, impacts the world. But, um, but I also uh, don't necessarily create towards specific ends in that way. You know, um, I mean, it's still a mode of self-expression. I think first and foremost that one hopes, you know, might land a certain way, um, and. Uh, I do think that over the years, for better or for worse, you know, my audience uh, largely knows where I'm coming from, um, and in the in the ways that you know that I will seek out uh, music that that uh, or art of any kind that sort of you know that resonates with me. It might not be uh, exactly mirroring my um, my thoughts or my words. Um, or even the entirety of uh, my feelings on an, on a subject or an issue, but um, you know, we tend to not gravitate toward uh, work that pushes us away. We tend to gravitate toward work that resonates with us. And and um, I mean, I, I, first of all, would you agree with that? Like, we don't generally seek out things that run completely counter to you sure. Know, what we're looking for. So I think to that end, um, I've certainly been educated by artists. Um, uh, and I've certainly had, uh, previously held ideals, uh, challenged by art and artists and have, um, have, you know, had my head turned around and my mind changed. Um, I don't know how much that happens. I mean, I I'd be really happy to find out that it that it does happen from time to time within my audience. But I think uh, I I would probably have to admit that the bulk of my audience is more there for community, uh, community catharsis, community um, energy, uh, and then you know maybe secondarily uh, having an idea land um, 
that uh, wasn't s- something that someone was already thinking about or wasn't thinking about uh, in the same way, you know, or et cetera. Aside from making music, do you have any kind of, because this uh, primarily what we do here is talk about how to cope. We first made this because the election was driving us fucking nuts. And now the results of the election are finishing the job. And so we're all about coping strategies. Aside, So aside from making music, is there anything you're kind of turning to? Um, yeah, I've been, I mean, I've, I've been doing a lot of, um, it's actually helped me to cope, to do a lot of reading that, you know, further contextualizes the present moment. Like since, <laughs> since the election, I'll tell you the books I've read since the election. Um, uh, uh, fiction, Underground uh, Airlines, have you heard of this book? It's a it's a story that's it's kind of a mystery set in the like near future, um, but it's an America in which the Civil War never happened. There was a grand compromise that was achieved, and a lot of the states, uh, you know, divested, uh, you know, ended slavery um, little by little. But in the middle of the 21st century, there are still what they call the hard four states that still actually have an entrenched you know slave economy. And the United States, uh, the, the entire you know global power system is is restructured. The United States is much closer partners with you know Pakistan and Iran and China and et cetera. And um, and uh, you know we might think to ourselves like, well, that's crazy in the middle of the twenty first century. How could there still be four states that um, allow slavery? But the way it's laid out in the book, and it's it's barely laid out. Like they barely deal with actually how it happened. But in a few short passages there are these little compromises governmental compromises that are that are mentioned where you know reasonable men decide to accommodate you know this or that here this or that there uh avert a war you know by certain compromises and in that when you start thinking of it that way it makes it absolutely makes sense that you know given another set of circumstances we might be living in a very different different worlds such as that right now that was the first book i read after the election um, Hooray! yeah the <laughs> next was um the next was uh hitler ascent you're having a good was, time ted i can yeah, see that yeah yeah his <laughs> yeah. rise to power in 1939 the next after that was hitler land which is uh the nazi years told through the eyes of uh, the uh american expat journalism community uh then i read stalin paradoxes of power then I read Jane Mayer's Dark Money. Um, and um, that about uh, gets us up to the present moment. I feel like I've read a couple other things since then. but um, This is Ted's happy reading not, corner. Yeah. <laughs> but believe it or not, that, is, that actually helped. It actually really did help. Like, it, um, it, as scary as a lot of it, is as scary as it is to realize how close we teeter on the brink to all of these scarier, you know, realities. Um, it also, it was, it was comforting to be able to sort of make the connections to just to gain the knowledge, just to gird oneself with information, you know, um, contextualize uh, it as opposed to free fall. Yeah. And, Exactly, and that that has helped. Um, since then, I, I've been um, 
I've been deeply involved in, in trying to finish a record I'm working on, and that, you know, always helps probably more than anything, which is probably part of why I do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm curious, because, like, for me, I don't know, other than, like, news, I don't think I've read anything intense since the election. Like, I have gone deep into, like, the history of the Haunted Mansion ride and things like that. And, like, I, like, hearing that list just, like, stressed me out. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm curious about, like, how, like, is that, I mean, I know everyone deals with things in a different way. Like, is that escape for you? Or are there ways that you, that you do escape or just kind of shut it off and, and, and move into fantasy or things like that? I don't, I don't think I ever really totally escaped, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, coping and escaping are, are obviously not mutually exclusive, but they're also not necessarily, they don't have to overlap in the, in the Venn diagram, you know? Um, uh, I think that, um, I think I have a lot of methods for coping, some healthier than others, um, but I don't, do or I haven't yet done a lot of escaping. I mean, unless you count, you know, like I certainly watch TV that is not news every now and then. Actually, this this week I've been kind of trying to force myself to uh, to take in some media that is not news related, and it's hard because every day is so friggin' crazy, you know, that you want to watch. Till you fall asleep, you want to hear me. You know, you want to, you want to learn about the nuances of it all. But, um, but I this week I finally was like, all right, I gotta watch Moonlight. You know, like yeah, I have to watch you know the, some of these other movies that were big last year. And um, I guess that's escape in a way. It's definitely escape. I haven't even seen that new Star War yet. Yeah, me either. We should that watch war. the new Star War. That star, that war of that war on the star. Yeah, that is the most metal reading list I have ever fucking heard. Like, <laughs> like we're we're both um, terribly admiring now, and also deeply, deeply frightened of your power. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me just for the sake of just for the sake of completeness, let me add. I remembered that actually the most recent one I read is um, that book Rat Fucked. Um, about the uh, gerrymandering, about the uh, yeah. process of gerrymandering in America. You got to read that book, man. I'm telling you, it's really, really fantastic. It's, it sounds like a like such a dry read, but it's it's the the way he tells the story is is really incredibly human. Like he kind of drives the borders of some of the most bizarrely mapped out districts and you get a real sense for what, you know, what it what's actually affected and it's it's a it's a good 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 read one of my cuddly comfort reads is fear and loathing on the campaign trail 72 which i've probably read over a uh, hundred times really i have i should wow. read that. i haven't read that yet i don't know i just constantly pick it up and reread it at random just for years and years my copy is in tatters it's all taped together but it's just sort of my oh i'll just spend a couple minutes with it um but just seeing it is somehow re refreshing to see someone lose their mind while following a campaign that far back. Right. And just talk about 
the darkness that he sees. And it's very funny, but it's also like a guy who's completely going into it in the most unhealthy way possible and sort of what <laughs> what he kind of comes and the way he kind of comes through it. Um, we laugh. We laugh. We have to have a good time these right. days. And Right. You know, we've talked a lot about writing and obviously you're mm-hmm. writing lyrics and and Maureen, you're writing books and I'm writing all the different shit that I write. But um, you also are crafting music, right? And I'm I'm curious about like the headspace that you need to make the music side of what you do happen and whether that is part of the escape from the kind of textual world that we're all just sort of bathed in right now or if or if that's does that require head shifting does that kind of outside world influence or 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 hurt that in in the way you approach it Mm. hmm yeah that uh that that is another part to the to the big question um you know first let me say that um i absolutely loathe the sometimes seen suggestion that like hey at least there'll be good art you know, underneath the authoritarian regime, you know, it's, uh, yeah, exactly. It's the most, I mean, look, be happy if you get it. I'm happy when I get it. Do not fucking wish for that. Yeah, but think think of the cabaret we're going to get. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Right. Oh my God. I wish we could get another cabaret, but uh, no, 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 I'm sorry. I'm not supposed to wish for it. Do not. I just said, don't wish for it. Um, but you know, it, uh, it getting the heads, you know, it, it certainly affects things. And, um, I'll tell you while we're talking about this, I'm realizing that the last four songs that I've written songs that I actually really, really love in my canon to date are real fucking bummers. <laughs> They're like <laughs> slow and thoughtful and, you know, a little bit angry, you know, and, um, you know, so getting the headspace to write is important. Um, but it, you know, it also affects your headspace. It opens some headspace for you sometimes, you know, I, I have, uh, well, here's something that, is not usual in my life. I, I've um, I have dreamt songs before. There are songs on some of my earlier records that came out almost fully formed. When like when I woke up one day, um, the last time that really happened, you might be interested to know, was about like late two thousand three. Um, and it's happened to me like three times in the last three months. <laughs> Whoa! So. <laughs> So there's obviously something going on there in terms of headspace. Like, you know, maybe it all getting filled in the day is not quite, you know, helping me create sui generis if I sit down at my desk during the day. But I'm obviously working some shit out at night. And, you know, (laughs) thank God I, you know, the the phone has a voice memo thing on it. (laughs) I have a lot of groggy 4 a.m., you know, uh, 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 humming a melody kind of things. 
Well, this is this has been amazing because you are that is some of the most hardcore coping I've ever heard. And I am just stunned and impressed with it. Like, <laughs> well, think- thanks, you guys. I, mean, <laughs> I have I have valued uh, this podcast as a coping mechanism as well since the very beginning. So. Well, you know that we just basically think about Disney World and then we um, that that for some reason has become our our collective fantasy. I didn't even right. know I liked this new world. We neither of us really knew it was in us, and yet yeah. the two of us and now are just you know Disney bound. You know you'll see us. <laughs> we'll be wearing the ears. You know we're we're planning our trip. Would you like to come on our trip you. with us? Yeah. yeah we're, we're, what, what ride would you go on first? Ooh. So we're talking Florida, right? Disney World. Oh yeah, Florida, yeah. Disney World. Yeah. yeah. Um, None of this California bullshit. Yeah, I know. Well, our, you know what. I, can I, can I give you a not very fun, but the, actually the first thing that popped into my head? Yes. Tell, just, just say <laughs> okay. S- say what you think. This is this is my this is maybe a little too on the nose for me. I'm very self conscious even admitting this to you, but uh, I've only been I guess I've been to Disney World. I've been to Disney World once. I went to Disney World in Florida once, and I was like 13 or something. And uh, as a kid, you know, from growing up in urban New Jersey, right outside of the city. New York, the city that they call New York City, um, as opposed to Philadelphia or some other city. Um, uh, you know, in the 70s and 80s, like, it's pretty much just pizza, pizza yep. and spaghetti, you know, maybe a hot dog here or there or something. Um, but I went there, like, right when Epcot first opened, mm-hmm. and my mind was blown, like, I had like a teriyaki thing for the first time in my life. Beautiful. And it exploded my head about the possibilities of not just eating, but going places to eat. <laughs> so so I think I would go, I would try and recreate that. I would go to Epcot. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. That's so that beautiful. Awesome. Did, when you lived in New Jersey, did you ever go to Action Park? Oh, hell yeah. I went to Action Park okay. all the time. Man. Just for context, Action Park, I've talked about on a previous episode, was the very, very dangerous, um, completely unsafety regulated park, uh, amusement park in New Jersey that um, had multiple fatalities. Yeah. And at I mean, one point... I would be happy to do a separate podcast about just about Action Park. I, I got I, some I, stories. I have, no, I want them. And they famously built a, an enclosed water slide that had a loop at the bottom. Yes. That um, people, that like nobody survived. I don't think they were able to keep it open for even a couple of days. Okay, okay. I got to tell you really quick. <laughs> I was there. I was there once when they had to get like a crane with a winch in to detach the top of the loop the cannonball loop and like lift it out of the slide and like gently lower it down so that they could extricate a human who had gotten trapped in the oh top god. of the loop oh my god oh my god oh my god oh my god <laughs> you're getting you're getting triggered right now huh? no i'm getting super excited because there's no way oh, in right. hell I would ever i don't like water sides full stop and i whenever <laughs> i want to just think about human fragility and what we're really like i just look at pictures of the cannonball loop and think this it's is it and they used to test those rides quote unquote test them by giving an employee a hundred bucks to go down and see if they would die yeah exactly (laughs) that was literally insane 
that's what they would do. They would give an, they would give someone a hundred bucks to go on a ride to see what happened. Yeah, and because it was all like you know teens on their summer break. I would have done it. Hundred bucks? You kidding me? In the eighties? Did you ever go down the Alpine slide that was made of concrete that people used I to? I love the uh... Alpine slide. Yeah. Oh my god! You get you get out of there with so many like scrapes on your elbows and everything. Oh and yeah, Alpine slide was yes. great. Always, you know, as you're going up on the the ski lift on the way up, you know, you just it's just strewn with bodies and plastic <laughs> luge sleds, you know, around the around the sides. People like. You'd get, you'd either get, you know, you get stuck behind somebody who's super scared and going slow and like ram into them or the opposite would happen to you or you'd fly off around a corner. Again, to explain, this is a luge slide made of concrete and they would send people down on slides, down a slide made of just, just flat out concrete. <laughs> just, yeah. And you, your only control is a stick with like a, uh, some kind of, I don't know if it was rubber or what, but like you... You would sort of push it forward, and the the <laughs> stopper would raise, and you'd just fly down the mountain. Or if you pulled back, the stopper would like jerk you to a slower speed, eventually, or something. Apparently, most of the fatalities were in the wave pool. That's what I've read. That's what I've heard too. Though I have, <laughs> this is great too, is that I've heard that not all of them were drowning. Like some of them oh, were God, electrocution. Some of them were electrocution. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe I'm laughing about that. Definitely the most efficient way to kill people in a wave pool. Ted, thank you so much for for both talking about uh, your art and about Action Park. And and I I believe that I understand now the fact that you could handle Action Park and the fact that you can handle the current events uh, by reading the kind of things you read. I'm like, it all, (laughs) this makes complete sense to me now. So, well, thank you. Oh, Dan, you don't know, you don't understand how happy that just made me. I mean, I think that you, I really did feel like you thought I was making up Action Park and so many, I just had to keep posting the pictures and show people, no, this is all real. Um, So just to really, um, I like to, this is a, you know, a real lighthearted podcast, again, about coping. Um, So uh, just some fun facts. Um. List of fatalities at Action Park. Oh, no. Um, I had, in July 1980, a park employee was riding the Alpine slide. Uh, he uh, died there. Um, it's a death in the tidal wave pool in 1982. Um, in 1982, there was also electrocution in the kayak experience. Uh, 1984... Um, there's someone died in the cold water beneath the Tarzan swing. 1984, also someone drowned in the tidal wave pool. And again, in 1987, someone drowned in the tidal wave pool. Um, and the number of injuries, uh, we'll never be able to, we'll never be able to count those. So that's just some fun, some fun facts. You know, you know, we got an e- we got an email, Dan, when when we were gone, that said that we sounded too ranty, and th- they wanted us to get back to coping, and I, I think that that was a good comment. Yeah, I I've thought about that a bunch, and I think like the action park stuff, like the, there's been an interesting through line in Says Who, which is as we've commented on before, uh, Disney. And but there's also this kind of corresponding through line of action park and like 
it's sort of like heaven and hell, right? And yeah. the 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 darkest timeline and the and the lightest timeline. And I think it, the the email that we got, like, it, it's interesting that you brought that up because I've I've been thinking about that email a bunch uh, in the ensuing time, and it's like, man, it's it's true. Like, it is easy to just dwell in Action Park, right? But we gotta. We got to work toward Disney, too. Beautiful. We do. <laughs> right now, we are going down the solid concrete of the Alpine slide in a small plastic sled with very little control. We're knocking into other people. It, we will be scraped. We will be banged. Some, it's, it's not a good ride. Perhaps we are going down the cannonball loop, which is a water, you know, the water slide with the loop at the end where we're thrown into the darkness, slammed up to the top of the loop, stunned, thrown back into the water. They have to get the crane to get us out if we don't just perish at the end of the loop and are just pooped out by the next person who slides down the slide. I feel, are we in? You guys feeling good? I mean, if that Dan, am I doing this right? I think you might be doing that wrong. I think I think that's not oh. where we want to be. Where oh. we want to be, Maureen, is on the Aladdin Magic Carpet Ride at Disneyland or Disney World, sorry, where you're going around and around in a circle and every time you turn, you're staring at the Dole Whip stand. And so every time you go around, you remember the Dole Whip that you're going to eat as soon as your carpets land again. And then you can go and eat that Dole Whip and get right back in line and ride around and look at your forthcoming Dole Whip again. That's where I want to be. That's where I want to be. And we'll go the, and we'll go together, all of us, with our continued efforts, our continued resistance, the calls that we'll continue to make. And we'll get to Disneyland together. Together, all of us, together. Together, Dan. Together together <laughs> i don't know why i just made that sound so evil i'm really excited i think we're not great <laughs> i think we're not so good at this <laughs> do you guys do you guys feel good now i mean we're, we we wanted to really wanted to really perk you guys up can i can i interrupt you... for just a second more do you hear this yes what are you hearing um, sort of sounds like you're playing the washboard. Yeah, I'm scratching. I've been scratching this whole episode. Let me just real quick, and then we're gonna and then we're gonna wrap things up. This is the the <laughs> this is the the action park slash Disney World dichotomy that I've been living lately. I mentioned earlier we went to um. We went to New Orleans last week, and it was amazing. I'd never been to New Orleans. It was incredible. And my family uh, are crazy road trippers, so we drove two days down and two days back. And uh, two things happened on Friday night on our way back. Uh, the first was we noticed that my son, very my older son, very clearly has ringworm, which, which is not a worm. It's a fungus, but still. Uh, and then we almost immediately thereafter noticed that our dog who traveled with us was completely covered in fleas. So I am now itching like crazy. And it's like I'm playing the itch lottery because I don't know which it is. I don't know if I also have ringworm or if I also have fleas. Could be both. 
I could have hit the jackpot on the itch lottery. I wouldn't rule it out. Fingers crossed. Please send us. We'd love to see your conspiracy walls. And we would love your thoughts on our Paul Ryan billboard. Should we, can we get the money together for this? What do we put on it? Please let us know. This feels very important. You can contact us at Says Who Podcast on Twitter. You can email, hey, that's H-E-Y at Says Who Podcast dot com via email. And you can hit us on Facebook at slash Says Who Podcast. It's worth noting, Maureen, that Twitter has been a joy to open up these last couple of weeks. Uh, almost, I would say, what, two, three times a day, people have been sending their photos of the Dole Whip that they've been making on the recipe that we shared in the minicast uh, a couple weeks ago. It's it so has good. been fantastic. It's, it's so been beautiful. so great. I didn't know that's all I wanted to see, but it turns out that's all I wanted to see. Yeah, it's like it makes Twitter a little joy inside a inside a never-ending stream of hell. Again, Dan, again, we're not you're not you're not selling it. You're not. Yeah. No, I'm not. You know what is great about Twitter? Darth. Darth also oh. made our logo. They're at Darth at Twitter and they are amazing. We love you, Darth. And our amazing theme music is recorded by Ted Leo who also joined us uh, this episode. And you can find out more about Ted Leo at tedleo.com. And we will talk to you again on April 19th because we are now back. Every two weeks. We have a schedule and you'll be hearing from us regularly. Wednesday, every two weeks. That's right, baby. We're back. Got ringworm and fleas? Yeah, we got both. We got both. We got both. Jesus, Dan. It's something. It's something. We had to drive from Memphis straight to the dog wash and get the whole dog washed and then uh, apply some sort of insane flea killer. So now our house is just full of dead fleas. Except me, maybe. I don't know if we're going to be cheering people up. Oh, it's a low bar. That's true. Hey, dead fleas. That's not bad.